are going to be in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians 1.18 this morning. And the Apostle Paul has been writing to, to what they would say followers of the way in Colossae. And Colossae would have been the town and, and followers of the way. And that's what they called early Christianity. They said the way. You might remember in, in Matthew, as we went through the book of Matthew, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that kind of became the, the term, the way, is, it meant to the followers of Christ. Now, something is going on in this particular church because he is writing them and he is telling them, you should know who the real Christ is. You should understand who Christ is. You should know who he is. You kind of get the feeling that the church is either, you know, being influenced either by outside forces or, or maybe even forces within that are, that are diminishing who Christ really is. Maybe they, they thought he was just one of the gods. And that's kind of what they were bringing into the church. Or maybe they thought he was just, you know, a great guy who became a god. Or maybe a mortal man that became immortal. Which is all incorrect. So Paul writes to them. And, you know, and he writes this letter to them about this very, very big God that, that, that Paul wants them to understand who Christ is. An eternal Christ who was there from the beginning. Who's been there from, from, the, from, the, from the first and even before the first. Paul understood that this because of his meeting with Christ. And I don't know if you, you've, uh, you, you, know, you understand the meeting with Christ on the road to Damascus. And one of the things I love about the Lord is that he, is, you know, he, he showed us this on the road. He showed us this through, through his meeting with Paul. He didn't pick Paul on who Paul was at that point. In fact, Paul was anti-Christ. Paul was against God in that sense. He didn't pick Paul. He didn't go, oh, well, well, yeah, this is the man I want. No, he looked at Paul and said, this is a man that I can change into something that I have a plan for. Change his life into something. He can do great things for me. He picked Paul because Paul could use the Lord's help. And that's the same with us. He doesn't pick us on the, our abilities. He doesn't pick us on, well, you know, Alan or, or Joe or, or, you know, anybody. You put your name in there. Uh, yeah, they're the greatest. They're the best. I'm going to just do this. And no, he, he picks us and goes, well, I can change them into something. I can use them in my kingdom. I can use their faults and their abilities because through their faults and abilities, then they will rely on me and people will see me and not them. See, that's the problem with, with some, uh, uh, some teachers. And, you know, we get to a point where we're so big in our own eyes. And God's sitting there going, no, 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 no. It's about me. It's not about you. It's about me. And we should all remember that in our maturity, in our Christian walk. It is about who? Jesus, God, Christ. Use the Sunday school answer. That's a perfect place for the Sunday school answer. Now, you might remember that Paul started out praying for them, that they would receive knowledge and receive understanding to know Christ and know who he is and to live in Christ. And, and then last week, we kind of started covering this, this poem. And it doesn't really translate to, like a poem does in, in English. As if you go back and look at it in your Bible, it may even be a little indented to kind of show that it was a poem. But, but you go back to the Greek, and it's a poem that, that he's doing. It you know, could have either been a, been a hymn or something, but there's really no meter or, or, ry, uh, or rhythm to it. You know? 
But he says this in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now you have reconciled or but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. That is the gospel that is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven which of of and of which I Paul have become a servant. Now if there's ever a passage in the Bible that you should memorize, this is it. This talks about the supremacy of Christ, to know and to understand who Christ is in your life. And this is the reality for this world. This is who we bounce off of. This is who we, you know, get our ideas from. This is who we embrace in our life. We can't reinvent who Christ is for this world. I'm sorry. You can't change who Christ is. You can't change Christianity's beliefs to fit in the new order of things in this world. You cannot do that. This is what's becoming a believer is all about. You can't say, well, God, you're, you're partially right and I'm partially right, so, so why don't we meet in the middle somewhere? That just doesn't work for God. God is always right. God is never partially right. That's not biblical. It's not what we believe. That's a road to destruction. God's road leads to, to, to life, not destruction. What I do doesn't change God's road. It can change my road, but it doesn't change God's road because it's truth. It's set. And when we submit to that, it brings us into the light. It brings us into to his power, his glory, his, his understanding of things in this world. To be able to say, I am wrong, Lord. You are right. That's to agree with the Lord that we are wrong. That's a good road. Now, in verse 18, he says, And he is the head of the body, the church. Now, my son tries to keep, you know, he, he likes to test his boundaries as he's growing up. He's four and a half now, and, and you know, if, uh, if he doesn't like an answer I give him, he will look at me, and he'll get this stern look on his face, and he'll put his hands together, and he'll go, Daddy... You can laugh. It's okay. Then he will say, I'm a fire ninja. I will throw lava at you. He likes Hawaii too, I understand. But sometimes my response is, you can be whatever ninja you want to be, 
but I am dad. See, that overrides everything that he could be. You know what I'm saying? I am dad. You can be the water ninja, you can be the fire ninja, you can be whatever ninja. You see, no matter what we try or say or or try to do to get God to compromise on something, guess what? He is dad. He is the head of the body. He is in charge. You know, the metaphor is this human body, and Christ is is in charge here. There are many parts to the body, and Paul talks about this in in many different places. You know, know, the finger can't say to the, you know, can't say, I want to be a toe and just move to the toe. It just doesn't work like that. The back can't say, well, I want to be the front. It just, you know, I mean, the back takes off to the front, and they're fighting, and you have no back. I mean, it just doesn't work, okay? It's fun to imagine, but it just doesn't work. Paul tells the men, you need to start sitting with the families. Because back then, the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other side. Or if they could afford to build the church, the men sat below and the women were in the balcony and they had to be quiet up there, okay? And then, you know, the whole thing changes. Christ comes along and then Paul says, you know what, guys? You need to be sitting with your families, no more separating the church. No more Jews, you know, you know uh, not sitting with the Gentiles. You need to mix it up. You need to be in there with, with the Gentile friends. He says, basically, everyone, you need to get in here and worship. Master and slaves, because that was the society of the time. You need to come together. The slaves just don't have their own church. No, they go to your church, and, and you mingle together. You listen to each other. You learn from each other. You become one body. And, and uh, that's what I loved about last week. I mean, last week was a lot of fun because it was one body of Christ coming together, even though there's two churches, two pastors, two meeting places, one body of Christ. That's a good thing. These were revolutionary thoughts for the day, not just for religion. People hung out with their own type, their own economic status, their own status in society. I would say color of skin, but they're all Middle Eastern over there. Okay, one person got that. They all have the same color of skin mostly. But it was like, well, you're, you're Egyptian and I, you know, you're Egyptian Middle Eastern and I'm Palestinian. You know, you see what I'm saying? They would separate out like that. Or Philistinian, not Palestinian, because the Palestinians weren't there. Don't, I don't want an email this week, okay? But they all looked the same, you know? But it was more like country of origin. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're all one body. We're all one part. And that is okay. I mean, we're all different parts of the same body. Paul traveled with a doctor named Luke. And, and, you know, he probably discussed a lot of medical things with Luke because you kind of get this medical stuff going on with Paul for some reason. You know, it's ironically, or ironically, the, the thinking of the time was that all your thinking came from your gut, you know, we kind of have that same thing. Oh, my gut feeling, you know. But really, w- reality, where does that thinking come from? Our brain, our head. We've figured that out by now, you know. But around this time, that, that gut feeling thought started changing to the head thought. And the, the body has a chief, a part that's in charge. You cut off the hand, does your body still work? Yeah, as long as you bandage it up in time, 
It may not work as efficiently with two hands, but the body will still work. You cut off the head, does the body still work? No. See, our bodies are amazing things until they break down. They're amazing things. And when, when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. I used to be a youth pastor. I took a, loaded a whole bunch of kids down, kids up in the vehicle, and we all went down to uh, uh, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, Chrissy Field, beautiful kind of sandy beach down there, got a 300-year-old fort there, so we're out playing on the beach, and we're like knocking each other over in the sand, and one of the guys came up behind me, and he, w- he got down, and he was going to grab my feet and, you know, make me face plant into the sand. We were all doing it, no big deal. Problem was, he still had his shoes on, so when he grabbed my feet and pulled them this way, my little toe caught his rubber shoes. So my foot went this way and my little toe went that way. I'm like, dead, burn it. Now, I used to be an athletic trainer, so with my medical knowledge, I knew that there's not, I mean, unless the toe's hanging off completely, there's not much they can do. So I grabbed the toe and I tried to righten it back out. And it goes, plop. I'm like, grab the toe, try to put it back in place. Plop. I'm like, dead, burn it. I got to go to the doctor now. So we load everybody up, and this is like a three-hour process because i got to get them home. i got to get all the kids home. And then finally make it to the ER, and the doctor goes, yep, it won't go back in. I'm going to have to give you a shot. And I'm like, that's going to hurt worse. Just grab the toe and put it back straight and then tape it to the other one. We're all good. He's like, no, I have to give you a shot. I'm like, ah, the shot hurt worse. But I can tell you, over the next few weeks, as that that part of my body healed, what happened to the rest of my body? It suffered. My back started hurting because I started walking really weird, right? Yeah. It's not fun. When the body breaks down, it's not fun. My legs suffered. My knees started hurting because of the way I was walking. I mean, the body starts to suffer. All parts of the body need the body, and the body needs all parts. Do you understand what I'm saying? Romans 12, Paul writes to them and says, Don't glorify certain parts of the ministry. Don't glorify certain parts of the body. Let every part do its part. There's parts of the body that are essential that you can't see. My liver is essential. My kidneys are essential. There's things, I mean, my heart is essential, right? Can you see any of that? No, I got a lot of blubber, okay? I mean, I'm just saying, it hides it. So we relate to this as a church. Paul wrote to the, the, you know, to the Ephesians and to the church in Ephesus. He said that the church matures like the body matures. See, our goal is to no longer be infants. I got an infant at home and he just screams sometimes for no stinking reason. Okay, he has a reason. I just can't understand that reason, okay? But he just screams. Now imagine a Christian. When we're baby Christians, we're like infants. And we say and we do stuff that a mature Christian looks at and goes, what are you screaming about? And as we mature, see our goal is to mature in this life. Brandon cannot stand it when I compare him to the baby. I don't do it that often because I don't want to give him a complex. But when he's being a toot, I will tell him, you know who you're acting like? No, You're acting like Grayson. What? I'm like, well, then start acting your age. 
See, our bodies grow at the same rate from birth, pretty much. And Paul wants the church to do the same. Paul wants the church to to mature. Even when one part of the church is not growing as fast as the other, do we just leave it behind? Do we just chop it off and leave it behind? No. Our goal is to go along beside them and try to help mature them. So the question is, are you growing and maturing? Simple, complex question. That's a hard thing to, to attest to. You know, maybe, maybe you can look at it in, in your own life. Not everybody, but maybe you look at it like, you know, I used to attend church, you know, three or four times a year. And then I started coming more often once a month. And then I found myself wanting to go, you know, twice a week. And now I find myself here more often. That's part of the maturing process for a person that maybe hasn't grown up in the church. Maybe it's because you've become hungry for the Word. You wanted to be here. It's not just something that, that's become habit. You know, the very first church in A.D. 33, after, you know, approximately around A.D. 33, it might have been a little sooner than that, a little later than that, depending on how you count when Christ, uh, you know, rose from the grave. But there was a group of about 120 in the book of Acts, and they grew very quickly. I mean, they went from 120 to, to 3,000. And I've been a part of a church that's done something similar, not overnight like the book of Acts. But I've been a part of churches that have grown very quickly. Not every church does that, so we shouldn't get a complex about that. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of headaches in that when a church grows. I mean, you've got to get a bigger coffee pot, more donuts, you know, lots of stuff, you know, headaches. But they would start meeting. They didn't have these grand buildings They would start meeting in public places. Where do you think the first church met? Anyone? Throw it out there. Homes, eventually. But you know where they started out? The Jewish temple. On temple grounds. The temple complex. Not in the actual temple building, you know, where the holy holy place was and the holy of holies was. But the temple complex that was up there. Because mostly it was men coming up, and, and women could be in certain areas. But they, would, they started meeting there. Could you imagine? They would meet there on, you know, the Jews would meet on Saturday. It was their Sabbath. And Christ rose on Sunday, and that's one reason why we worship on Sunday. So don't ever let somebody tell you, well, you know, you worship on the wrong day. You know, we can worship every day of the week. But they started worshiping on Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the, dead, uh, from the grave. It also worked out that the facility really wasn't being used on that day because the Sabbath was the day before for the Jews. Can you imagine the Jewish authorities? You can't be here. Well, why not? We're all Jews because at the very beginning it was mostly Jews that were Christians. Well, you're talking about Christ. And your point? Yes, we are. See, their lives had been completely changed. They wanted to hang out. They wanted to pray together. They wanted to eat together. It wasn't a forced thing. They started studying the, the, the Word of God, the Scriptures, and seeing, you know, reading the Old Testament and seeing it in a whole new light through the light of Christ and realizing who Christ was and who Christ is. Then you see quickly in Acts uh, 2.41, it says, Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. This is just like what Jesus did. They learned this from Jesus. 
Jesus came and hung out with the people, right? What do the apostles do at this point? They start hanging out with the people, start teaching them, start telling them what Jesus was like. The apostles were like little Christ running around, very accessible, telling stories. And, you know, this is a very exciting time. It says, to, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, having a meal together, hanging out together. You know, some, some of them came for, for Pentecost, you know, the Jewish holiday. And they heard about Christ, and they sat under the teaching, and they never went home. They just stayed there. In fact, verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this whole idea of taking care of one another, going to the temple and going into every, you know, each other's homes of, of the Christians that were around there, you know, this is, this is far more than, hi, how you doing on Sunday morning, see you later, see you next Sunday at 10 or 10.30 or whatever time they decide to have church. See, this is not rocket science, but it's amazing how hard it is. It is so hard, and as I talk to other pastors, it is so hard to get people to hang out and to be with one another sometimes. And you're like, how, why should you, you know, we need to have this, this want, this desire to hang out with each other. And verse 46, it says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you want to have more of a healthy church, then we need to start seeing each other more often than just Sunday morning. Come to our Wednesday nights. Call some other people up and say, hey, come out over, come hang out over at our house. Let's play cards. Let's do something. Break bread together. It's time for us to graduate to bigger things. Make hanging out more of a priority because when crisis hits, that's when we need each other. That's when we need each other. Because if we don't, we're like this. They don't even know me. I skipped church for two months and they didn't even notice. We, we like to blame the church. But I have to tell you, a lot of times, who's to blame? The person walking away. Now, we could do better on our end, but at the same time, we need to not walk away. And to, in today's society especially, uh, you know, somebody rings our doorbell, uh, you know, I dare say so, some of us don't go to the door anymore. Because who comes to our door? People have called us and said, hey, I'm going to come over. And we say, great, that's who comes to the door. If it's, you know, if my wife is at home by herself, she may not answer the door. We don't go hunt people down as much as we should. We probably need to change that. But if we don't break bread together, if we don't hang out together, won't know your name. I won't. You may know me because I'm the pastor. 
You may remember my name, but you might not remember my wife's name. You might not remember my kids' names unless I talk about them too much up front. Well, the point is, loving and hanging out, being together, developing relationship. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were happy to eat together. It wasn't a forced thing. It never works when it's forced. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were saved. If you want the church to grow, you need to hang out and bring others along as you do. So during the week, I want, to, I want you to do something. I want, to, I want you to evaluate your life based on Acts 2.41 and following. Now, this week, don't curse me if the Holy Spirit convicts you. That's between the Holy Spirit and you. But evaluate your life on this. Because if you evaluate your life in the light of this part of the, the Word of God and ask yourself, okay, self, how am I doing on this? What do I need to improve on? Where do I start? You know, we've started meeting on, on a monthly basis for our monthly meals, which is good, but it's time to go beyond that. And you have to ask yourself, what is your part in that? People want to, to join a place, want to join a group that wants to be together and hang out. Have you ever noticed that? I've had that several times in my life where, where you just come to, to, together and part of a group and you're just like, oh, this is fun. Oh, I like these people. This is good. Oh, yeah. Hey, you want to? Yeah, we'll do that again. And, and, and there's an enthusiasm here. At different parts of my life, when the Holy Spirit gets involved, people just love it because they want to have fun and they want to be a part of it. Now back to Colossians 1.18 so we can wrap up today. I've covered a half a verse, so we're doing good. It says, verse 18, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Now, the word I want to focus on here is the word beginning. It's the word arche from the Greek. It's like an arch, okay? Not as in just a doorway, but, but more like a, a prefix, uh, or a prefix, uh, you know, of, uh, of being a, the primary part, the primary ruler. You know, almost like his gate, his house, he's the ruler, that kind of idea. Like archangel, you know, primary angel or ruler. You know, Christ is the arche. Now, another word that, that we probably know a little bit better would be alpha. Christ is the alpha. Not a alpha, but the alpha. Christ was very, very clear about this. He is saying, I am the beginning, I am the ending. I am the alpha, I am the omega. Paul would say, if you don't get this, there's no reason to go any, any further. If you don't understand that he is the beginning, he is the alpha. If you don't get that, because it starts with Christ, it ends with Christ. All things relate back to Christ. And if you see a Christian doing something that doesn't relate back to Christ, and they're not doing the Christ-like thing, we need to go that's not good. 
As Christians, we need to point out what is not good. Now, we need to do it appropriately. Uh, that's what I loved about the whole WWJD movement back in the 90s. You know, what would Jesus do? We really need to have that mentality. We need to study Christ. Now, if you didn't grow up around church, you need to study him because he's new to you. But for those who have grown up around the church, you need to study him. Why? Because the church has this way of, of taking who Christ is and molding it into something different sometimes. Have you ever noticed that? Now, I am not anti-tradition. I'm not, uh, I'm not this every tradition is anti-Christ and not good you know, for the church. Traditions are good. But some traditions are not necessarily good. Why? Because they're not based on Christ. So you have to, to clear away the varnish. You know, sometimes we have these, you know, it's like a painting that's been varnished over. And then somebody says, oh, we need to protect that. And they varnish over it again. Oh, we need to protect that. And they varnish over it again. And there's like 15 layers of varnish. And you can't even tell what the original actually looked like. Sometimes the church, we can do that to Christ. And we've got to peel away those layers. We need to be able to say that if you see something that doesn't fit who Christ is, come say, well, Pastor Alan, or Alan that, that, that right there, that's not, that's not of Christ. We need to do that before it becomes a church tradition. So, you know, 130 years down the line, they're not going, well, whoever started this, I don't know what the, why they started this. That's not of Christ. See, the best place to do this is to read and study who he is. That's why we spent 70 weeks in the book of Matthew. Some people are, oh, that's way too long in the book. No, that's about who Christ is. It doesn't matter how quickly we go through the Bible. It matters what we learn out of it. It's very important for us to be in the Scriptures every day. Now, you don't have to read huge passages of the Scripture. You know, some people are like, i got to read the whole Bible within 90 days, or i got to read the whole Bible within a year. And there's like, oh, i got, I got eight chapters i got to read tonight. Well, that's great if your goal is to read through the Bible. You know, that's not a bad goal. That's a good goal. But at the same time, we also need to be reading. And when we read something, we need to ask God to reveal something to us. And when he reveals something to us in that passage that we haven't learned yet, we need to stop and read it again and think about that through the day. You know, even reading something from someone who's more mature than you in Christ, as long as they're you know, on the road and the path of Christ... That's an okay thing, too, as long as the, the basis comes from Scripture. But again, we don't want religion to be varnished over. Everything we do ought to be evaluated on the arche, the alpha, who is the Christ. In our personal lives, in our church life, all religious things should be evaluated against Christ. And all religions ought to be evaluated against Christ. What are they teaching? And is it biblical? Do they feel that Christ is the Alpha? Do they feel that Christ is the Omega? If they do, great. If they don't, then it's a false religion. Christ should be the leader because He is the head. He is the beginning of all things. Verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And as we already previously studied, this is the reason Christ came. He came to reconcile us because we are full of sin, aren't we? Oh man, we are. We're just full of sin. And Christ is the only one that we can pray to. He's the only one that we can say, forgive me of my sins. God, forgive me of my sins. And it brings peace to us, between us and God himself. And it establishes him as our alpha. He's our anchor. Now, when I think of anchor, I don't think of a huge ship with the anchor, with the huge chains. I mean, those are really cool. And going over to Israel, and I didn't put it up again. I didn't pull, pull the picture out this time, but they have one of the big, you know, big uh, carved out anchors of stone. I mean, it's like stands this tall, and it goes all the way down. It's really huge. But when I think of anchor, I don't think of those things because I don't use those things on a, on a daily basis or on a yearly basis. What I think of are these little anchors that we have in our boats in Canada. Okay, I know I'm fixing to go to Canada. That's where my line is. You know. But the anchor is supposed to do what? Keep you in the spot that you want to be in, right? That's what an anchor is for. When the waves start up, the boat just kind of rocks and it stays right there. But if it's not a big enough anchor or not a good enough anchor, what happens? You pull up and you start moving around. The anchor may catch again, but as soon as the waves get big enough again, you start moving around. In fact, several years in Canada, it would be like that. It's like we'd anchor in one spot, but the wind would be blowing so much that, you know, we'd look up and all of a sudden we're 5 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet from where we wanted to be. And it's really, you're really irritating, especially when you're catching fish, because you got away from the spot. So I solved that problem. I literally bring my own anchor. We have these boxes that we put our equipment in. I bought an extra anchor. I put it in there. Since I bring my own anchor, I never have a problem with that again. You know, the anchor is a great thing. You find a good fishing spot, you're there. You don't drift. It's not like I'm sitting there going, man, the stupid anchor's in the boat again. Who put that thing in here? I'm never going to use that. No. No. Paul, at the end of the poem, he talks about our one responsibility. It is to stay anchored. Look at verse 21. It says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in sight, without blemish and free from accusation, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. He's talking about being anchored right here. Guess what? We have the opportunity to drift away from our hope. We have the opportunity to drift away, especially if we don't have the right anchor. If you don't have a strong enough anchor or the right anchor, you will drift away. Through neglect, through not having fellowship with one another, we clearly have an assignment here. We need to keep believing in Christ. We need to keep moving towards faith and keep hoping in Christ. This is like halftime in the locker room. If you're winning, you don't go into halftime going, oh, we're winning, we don't have to do anything else. No. You have to focus so you can keep winning. 
You can't say, well, we can take it easy for the rest of the half. No big deal. We got this. No, you go back out into the field and you keep doing what you're doing for the rest of your life. Firmly established. Not drifting away from the hope of the gospel. One, you know, our, our active belief in Christ becomes the rope. It becomes the chain that is connected to the anchor. We're tied to Christ. That's who we're tied to. The Apostle Peter says in, in uh, 1 Peter 3, Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. So how do we do that? Well, here's how. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will hear Christians arguing and not fellowshipping together on passages like this. And what they do is they, they argue about the first part. They take one little part and they say, well, this is where I'm going to stand my ground. And they argue over that. Well, this means you can lose your salvation. Well, I don't know. We don't believe that here. You know, well, we're not going to fellowship with you again. Even though that we're both believers, forget it. If I see you in a restaurant, I'm going to turn around and walk to another restaurant. And, you, you know, we kind of laugh and it's funny, but it, sometimes we actually act that way. And how sad is that? We never interact with each other. And guess what? The devil wins because it's a crazy argument. Because Peter doesn't say... Let me give this statement so you can argue. He just says, you can drift away, so let me tell you how not to drift away. The focus is on how not to drift away. And that is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means come to church, study His Word, hang out with other Christians, get your Bible open, grow in that grace... Pray, Lord, I feel, you know, I feel far from you. Can you retie my line? What's fascinating is that we like to bl blame God when, when we drift away. We love to blame God. Like, you know, we forgot to tie the anchor line to the boat, and the boat's drifting away. And we threw the anchor out because we thought we were going to say. And then we say, well, that stupid anchor. It's never been a good anchor. I'm glad I left that anchor. But the anchor is still there. The rope is still there. And the day comes when we say, I've got to get home. I've got to get back to Christ. You need to retie this anchor, God. It's like the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son where, where the father went out every day looking for the son to return after he did all the things that he did. Took the inheritance. Wasted the inheritance. And the father's like, when he sees him, he goes, let me kill the fatty calf. Let's party. My son is home. That is like us saying, God, tie the anchor back to my boat. Because I need to hold on to something. Grace is given to us freely and it's not earned. But sometimes we do have work. And sometimes that work is, is hard. Because when a storm comes, we have to hold on to that anchor. We have to hold on to it. And holding on sometimes is work. Hebrews 6, 11, it says, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. In order to make uh, your hope sure, 
We do not want you to be lazy or to become lazy, but to imitate those through faith and patience, or who through faith and patience patience inherit what has been promised, so we don't become sluggish. And then the writer says in, in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us, has entered on our behalf. And I don't know if you understand the whole curtain thing, but we're talking about the holy place where the priest could come, and the holy of holies, which then the high priest could only go one time a year, one time a year, to sacrifice and to cleanse for our sins. And they would tie a rope to his leg, because if he had sin when he entered there, guess what? He was struck down dead, because you can't have sin in the holy of holies near God, right? Right? So they literally, if stopped moving around, they would yank him out. He'd be dead. It's written down. It's happened. But Jesus has gone there for us. And therefore, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, next week, we're going to learn, you know, where Paul's going to teach us that Christ is inside of us. So Christ is both in heaven and inside of us it's like we're holding on to both sides of the rope it's kind of mind-blowing christ is holding on to the anchor christ is the anchor and then christ is in us holding on to the rope that leads to the anchor it's kind of a weird mind-blowing type of thing but he's holding on to us what a beautiful thought did you know the anchor was actually one of the first christian symbols you know, we like to wear around our crosses, have them on rings, and you put them up on walls and all that. When the anchor was one of the first Christian symbols, because it was Paul talking about the hold on to the, the anchor of hope of who God is. So if you ever feel like you're drifting, look for that anchor. Look for the anchor and hold on. Because life can just hit you out of the blue. Now, this past week, I was coming home, and, and I had some stuff, and I was trying to put it in the fridge. And my son, who was really, really fast, came running around the corner, and he's coming right into the kitchen, right as I open the door to the fridge. Bam! Life just smacked him. So he's bawling, of course, and I hold him. I go, I go put him in the chair, and I'm holding him. And, he, and he's like, he's just crying. He goes, Daddy, new rule in the household. Anytime you open the fridge, you have to look to see if I'm there first. <laughs> and I'm trying to console him, and I'm laughing. And he's like, it's not funny, you know. Oh, And we're like that with God. God, new rule, and God's like going, you don't get it, do you? Sometimes life just smacks us, and we have to be holding on to the anchor, because that is where our hope is. Amen? Well, let's stand as the worship team comes, and I'll, I'll pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the hope that you are, that you are our anchor. That we can hold on to something in this life because life does smack us. Life does just come out of the blue and we're just like on the ground the next thing we know. And we don't know what happened. 
And I pray, Lord, that when life does that, that, that you are there to pick us up, that we look for you as our Father, as our Alpha, as our, the, the head of who we are, that you will comfort us, that you will teach us, that we will learn from you. I pray that this week we evaluate our life on, on the book of Acts. And are we following your ways? Are we doing the things that we should be doing for each other? That we may bring more into this fold. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you be blessed this week beyond anything you could imagine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.